0: David Kerr of the Chicago Reader said the first film in this franchise is one of the few star comedies of the early 80s to allot some humor and personality to the minor characters. Of the second film, Jay Boyar of the Orlando Sentinel says it's a precisely timed affair. So many seconds for this, so many seconds for that, and the natural flow of the story be damned. But the negative reviews didn't stop them from making a third film six years later, about which Joe Brown of The Washington Post describes as the most lackluster film in the franchise. And the subsequent TV series didn't make it past the pilot testing phase due to lack of interest. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we discuss the past, present, and potential future of the Beverly Hills Cop franchise. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Seek. Read, 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 read. Which one will it be? Mm. It's the Podcast. Greetings, starfighters. It's Rune Childhood's time. It sure is. It's me, Dan. I'm here with John. Hey, hey guys. How's it going? Uh, Dan? Your your play has opened. You feeling good? Well, so um, for those of you who are perhaps listening for the first time, um, and even those who are not listening for the first time but may not have heard our A Few Good Men episode, I have been directing a high school production of the play A Few Good Men, which, as I've learned, many people are not aware of. The play game before the movie in fact the play opened um 30 years ago let's see um november 15th 1989 so approximately 30 years ago or depending on when you're listening to this it could could be exactly. exactly 30 years ago um and it's the closing night of our show as well but when it opened on on broadway uh with tom hulse as lieutenant daniel caffey and Stephen Lang as Lieutenant Colonel Nathan Jessup, uh, the roles made famous by Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson in the movie. And um, I don't recall the actress who played Joe Galloway, but in uh, the film was played by Demi Moore. And, you know, it's it's an iconic movie. And I won't get into all of the... If you want to hear a lot about my concept for this and how I kind of figured out that I could potentially do this at a high school. Um check out our episode on A Few Good Men. I'm certain that I ramble on quite a bit about it in that episode.
0: Yeah, but it's really interesting. And if
1: you want to know more it about It was in that, context. It was in context, yeah. Uh yeah. So Yeah. I point is I won't ramble right now, but let's just put it this way. I um recast several of the roles to be played by women and not just the, oh, I want to do this play, but there aren't that many guys in the theater program. It was more of a, hey, these characters actually really work very well as, you know, as women. And among those, Colonel Jessup, because... How do you get past the audience's expectation of Jack Nicholson is you don't give them any, you know, you, you give them some, you know, no one's going to go in and see the 16 year old girl playing Jessup and think and start thinking like, ah, let's, ah, let's see if she's just like Jack Nicholson. Whereas I think any guy in the role, you're looking, you're, you're comparing him to Jack Nicholson or you've run that risk. Right. So long story short uh, you know, we played around with uh, some of the uh, casting in terms of gender and I mean, really it was gender blind with the exception of a, a, a few roles um, and it, it really worked and it really feels good to know that it worked because it was an idea that I'd had. I looked online and please feel free to email us at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com if you know of any instances of this, but I was looking online for any type of production of A Few Good Men where uh, the role of Jessup was uh, recast as a woman, where um, I also had uh, Kendrick, who was played by Kiefer Sutherland in the movie, Mm -hmm um played by a phenomenal actress she's one of the few actors who does not need a microphone if she had a microphone she would blow out the speakers no. <laughs> um she's she's amazing there's one scene where she just like is she's almost like she's this like almost drill sergeant like and she's yelling at all the different squad leaders and it's so intense and um she's it's just an intense she's, character. she's amazing yeah, she, w- she was going to shave her head. All credits are she was going to shave her head and then her parents were like, uh, Thanksgiving is two weeks away and we are going to, you know, be visiting with family who parents who might not be appreciative of that. Parents just don't get theater. Understand. They don't understand. <laughs> parents just don't understand. Um, and so they certainly don't understand the, the theater. But um, I have uh, the actor, the kid playing caffy who you know in the movie they have the benefit of you know editing right in the play but the play is written very much like a screenplay so it's like we've got lights going on upstage right where you're in Kathy's apartment and the next thing you know Kathy crosses downstage left and it's two days later and he's talking to people in the brig and he like this kid does an amazing job. Like these kids do an amazing job. And I'm biased, but now that I've heard other people say it, I can say it. It's like you forget you're watching kids. You forget right. you're watching teenagers. Yeah. And like they just are doing such a phenomenal job of of taking on these roles. And I think adding depth to them, like I would Like, I would take this concept to, I mean, to Aaron Sorkin. I want to, you know, get in touch with Aaron Sorkin because he had said a few years ago they were going to reboot it with Alec Baldwin as Jessup uh, for an NBC Live. And one of the reasons why Sorkin kind of delayed it slash backed out of it was that he couldn't find a way to make a few good men feel fresh, feel relevant, and, you know, uh, create a version of it that stands independently of the movie, and to that I say, Mr. Sorkin, please email me at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Yeah. Let's talk.
0: And uh, speaking of emailing ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com, we have a fresh email from our boy French Fry Phil. Yeah, hey, Phil. Who says, uh, gents, this is in reference to our Demolition Man episode, Uh, gents, I've never seen Demolition Man, uh, but I think I want to watch it after listening to your discussion. Maybe, maybe (laughs) not. Uh, to answer the question posed towards the end of the episode, a cryogenically movie, oh sorry, a cryogenically frozen movie released prior to Demolition Man was 1992's Forever Young starring Mel Gibson, who, is o- who also stars in the Mad Max franchise directed by George Miller, who also directed <laughs> Lorenzo's Oil.
1: <laughs> yes, well done, Phil. Well done. Um... And interestingly enough, now I know that this is not a like cryogenically frozen themed movie, but also from 1992, Encino Man. Oh yeah, frozen in a block of ice. Similar, similar concept. I can't connect Polly Shore to Lorenzo Zoyle right Yet. now, though. I'm sure through Sean Astin there may be, you could probably make that connection. Um, let's or Brendan see. Fraser.
0: Yeah, Brendan Fraser is probably going to be an easier route. Um, I mean, once you get to Brendan Fraser, then you get School Ties, which really opens up the web quite a bit. Oh, you have Damon and Affleck. Yeah, we're not going to do this right now. We can put a pin in that. I mean, not like we're ever going to do an Encino Man episode, but...
1: uh, Or a School... Will will we ever do a School Ties episode? I think it's on our list. I think we could do... Yeah, John and I can talk about School Ties, so... We're not cowards. Well... I will mention this, John, I just, it just came to mind, but I remember several years ago visiting you in Los Angeles and the two of us going on a hunt for a copy of School Times.
0: <laughs> I believe it's streaming currently on something.
1: Yes. Yeah. I believe, I, oh, I definitely noticed when it is.
0: <laughs> so uh, on this episode. <laughs> That's not what we're here to talk about. So we chose uh, to talk about Beverly Hills Cop because you are in the throes of your production of A Few Good Men and our less likely to be able to just put on a movie to research for uh, this podcast. So we chose Beverly Hills Cop because it's something that you certainly don't need to rewatch. Uh, it's something that I didn't think I needed to, but I enjoyed yeah. um, rewatching Beverly Hills Cop, uh,
1: as well as Beverly Hills Cop 2 and Beverly Hills Cop 3. Uh, oh, I'm glad you rewatched. I did not. I My familiarity with them is I've seen one and two several times mm-hmm. and um they're just they're good background movies. In fact, I had part 1 on this afternoon as I was catching up with some of my non-play related work mm-hmm. and you know, it's just they're just fun movies and I mean, I'll talk we'll talk about it in a little bit, but like two incredible soundtracks as well. But sure. Well, I mean, um, we can start how... with we can start with that if you want. I mean, XLF. Oh well, I'm just gonna say, like with part three, I don't rem. I remember, I remember seeing it. Part three is the only one that I saw in the theater. I saw it at the new park in in Roselle okay. Park. Okay. Yeah, in the summer of 1994. Is that just like the?
0: Okay, for new listeners, uh, Dan and I are brothers. We grew up in uh, New Jersey. Roselle Park was a, a nearby town. Was there? Just one main movie theater there? I can only remember one movie theater. Yeah. Okay.
1: I remember seeing Coneheads yeah. there for sure. Um. I know I've... I, okay. So my potential correction on that is I am fairly certain that we all saw Cone... That I saw Coneheads with you and Scott and Jeff Rubin. Correct. And perhaps others. And I am... Pr- Fairly positive that we saw it at the Union. What, I remember. Uh, Union movie I remember theater. seeing it at Roselle Park. But okay, you have right. the memory for this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I also could be wrong. It's it's possible. So you saw Beverly and, Hills Cop three there? Yeah, okay, I definitely saw Beverly Hills Cop three in Roselle Park, and the, that that movie theater was cool because a few of the cinemas had um had like stadium seating, and mm. that was kind of right before it was before like stadium seating became the norm right yeah in in and it's in most movie theaters so so, so Bev- saw Beverly Hills cop four there so Be- three.
0: Beverly Hills cop right Beverly Hills cop four we'll talk about that later um yes. Beverly Hills cop uh it is one of the uh the early uh Eddie Murphy movies that like really showcased what, what's up
1: yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, though really like the very first Eddie Murphy movie, 1982's 48 Hours right. in which he starred with Nick Nolte of Lorenzo's Oil. Yes.
0: Uh, that's um, an easy that's the easy one. We'll get into some others later. Oh, I
1: I I had a backup in case you got to that one first. Well, so.
0: anyway, I uh, We, for also for new listeners, uh, and anybody who was confused by the end of French Fry Phil's email, uh, we have a fun little game that we play where we try to connect actors from these movies to uh, Lorenzo's Oil, uh, the film starring the cast cast of Lorenzo's Lorenzo's Oil. Um,
1: yeah, well, I mean, I think director also released in 1992.
0: There you go, interesting.
1: Along with Encino Man and Forever Young,
0: <laughs>
1: so which, um, sadly, which sadly is contradicts Lorenzo's oil. Um, contradicts Lorenzo's oil. Forever Young. Oh, <laughs> yikes! Um, yeah. Anyway, moving on.
0: Beverly Hills Cop. All uh, I'm going to try to breeze through the uh, the plots of, of each of these movies. So, uh, Axel Foley. Uh, is is our protagonist. That is Eddie Murphy. He is a cop in Detroit who, uh, as we see at the beginning of the movie, kind of takes it upon himself to go undercover in a uh, sting of stolen cigarettes. It's like a stolen cigarette ring, <laughs> and he's trying to bust them. It's it's just like, you know, getting him, you know, we're, we're showing him in his element, you know, using his wits to crack a case. But as we see... Uh, Inspector Todd, who's his boss, uh, doesn't so much care for his antics and, you know, the way that he went, I guess, away from his uh, assigned duties to uh, to take on this case. <laughs> so um, after that case kind of folds in on itself, uh, Axel Foley is... Uh, Encoun- he encounters his friend Mikey, who's like his BFF from like forever, and Mikey is a delinquent. Which what?
1: <laughs> doesn't that doesn't BFF mean best friend forever? Well,
0: the F and forever, the third. Sorry, the second F and forever implies going into the future, but I'm talking about like going back to the beginning. They've been they've been <laughs> BFFs. Keep going, John. You Keep know what? Going. It's late on a Sunday night. I'm on I'm very sorry. little
1: sleep. so I'm sorry. I have all the so sympathy and, and empathy in the s- world for So you. they're
0: besties. And uh, you can tell that Axel kind of has a bit of a delinquent past. He mentions that a little bit here and there. But uh, Mikey is for sure delinquent. And um, they're catching up. And he tells them that he was working in Beverly Hills doing security. And... Uh, he got that job through their friend, Jenny. And, um, as they're kind of like catching up, he, uh, show Mikey shows him some bonds that he found. And he just starts to explain how like, they're just kind of like German, German bear, German bonds. Bear Yeah, bonds. They're just kind of like sitting around. Uh, there's like truck fulls of truck trucks full of them. So he like grabbed a few and he's like telling Axel about it. And Axel is kind of like, not cool, and that's when a bunch of thugs come and uh, they knock out Axel and uh, assassinate Mikey. They just like pop him in the back of the head. Jonathan Banks, uh, Jonathan Banks, Jonathan Banks, uh, an early role from Jonathan Banks, um, more recently made famous from shows like Breaking Bad and Better Call
1: Saul. But uh, yeah, I I mean, though I would say like at least most people of. Have- my generation, uh, would like when, when he popped up on Breaking Bad, I feel like the association before I was like, you know, was like, Oh, who, who is that guy? What's his name? It was just like, Oh man, that's like the thug yeah. from Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. He's, he was in a bunch of stuff, but like,
0: yeah, I feel like, and you know what? This is an interesting thing to talk about because Dan, you and you and I were from different generations Yes. we we cross. I guess I'm on the. You're you're the the Gen Xer. I'm the millennial. I'm like I'm the late end of Gen X. And yeah, and I'm the early end of millennials. So it's like yeah, true. but still we're kind of like towing that line. Um, but I feel like yeah. millennials would recognize him from Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul first, and because I feel like I in the back of my head I was like. That guy's super familiar, but I'll never come up with where I know him from. But now he's the guy from Breaking Bad.
1: Yeah. Whereas prior to that, I mean, and then he also, like, he's in Gremlins. Right. He's, like, the sheriff in Gremlins. But he always, to me, he was the, like, the hitman from Beverly Hills Cop who killed Mikey Tandino. Right. Oh, Mikey. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, John, uh, let me let you get back to the uh, plot synopsis here. So
0: after Axel comes to and the police are, you know, starting their investigation, he's trying to help out. But Inspector Todd is kind of like, no, you stay out of this. You're not allowed to touch this. Um, So Axel decides it's a good time to uh, use some vacation days that are coming to him. And uh, even though he is ordered to not touch this case at all, he... uh, as Axel Foley is uh, wont to do, ignores those orders, and um, he makes his way to Beverly Hills. And uh, he, the only lead that he has is their friend Janet, their friend Jenny, um, who is a manager at a gallery, and she uh, points him in the direction of the gallery owner, uh, Victor Maitland. Who is kind of like the biggest art dealer in Beverly Hills, something like that, and He's one of the biggest art dealers in the in world. in the world, whatever. So, uh, he goes to check out um, Victor Maitland and immediately gets like kicked out of the office in a very dramatic way. They throw him out <laughs> of the window of the lobby. The door they is break right their own th- window. <laughs> the
1: door is right there. It's like you've only inconvenienced yourselves. This is the difference between watching it as an adult and watching it, like, in high school, which I want to say was, like, I watched it a lot in high school, is that as an adult, you're like, well, they're the ones who are going to have to pay for that right. window. That was just stupid. Yeah. So. <laughs> Bad security, guy.
0: It's after he's busted by the cops for, I guess, disturbing <laughs> the peace or whatever. Yes, disturbing the peace. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's when he meets Taggart and Rosewood. And uh, they are just wonderful,
1: John Ashton and Judge Reinhold. That's right. They are. They were fantastic. They were. They well. They were. And it, what's funny is, uh, I, as I was reading, you know, get, doing some some background research, um, that they were directed to to play. And I, I think this was from their auditioning or like from their screen testing, like a m- married couple. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then apparently the whole thing about, like, the 50 pounds of undigested red meat mm. that uh, Judge Reinhold does was something like, that eat he a lot of red improvised. Meat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's so, it's so funny because it's like it, it, the tone of their discussions does have that familiarity to it. But after, like, I had read that and then I, and then as I had it on today, I was like, oh, my God, they are just nailing that relationship. It's,
0: it's absolutely accurate. If you... Think back to it or watch it with that in mind. It's they they play that really well. I
1: don't know. The, their chemistry is is so. I love the way that this movie's written. It's it it, it moves. It's
0: entertaining. It's suspenseful. Uh, it's really a lot of fun. And I I'll go back a little bit to uh, meeting up with Jenny at the art gallery. You know, yeah, that's when yeah. we also meet Serge, who's. Serge, 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 Serge. Oh well, that's what Axel calls him. Uh, you mean Achmel, Achmel? Achmel,
1: <laughs> uh, Achful, Serge
0: is maybe, Serge is maybe one of my favorite characters in cinema. He's just <laughs> so delightful in parts one and three. Uh, and we'll get into his role in, in part three later, but like, he he plays the like gallery assistant so perfectly, where it seems like I can't tell if he is genuinely being nice to them or if he's really put out when he's offering some espresso with a lemon twist. And yeah, I make it myself. I make it myself. <laughs> uh, he's he's so casual with things, and some of his I have to assume ad libbing in the third Beverly Hills Cop is so delightful Mm -hmm. bronson pinchot just kills it in this
1: yeah i mean and it's funny because it's basically like for people who would know bronson pinchot from perfect strangers Mm -hmm. which i knew so i knew bronson pinchot from perfect strangers before i knew him from beverly hills cop um it's a similar type of voice i think when they hired him for perfect strangers which is ironic because perfect strangers was what prevented him from being able to be in in Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah. So they wanted to bring him
0: yeah, back. And <laughs> and it's it's funny because you have Eddie Murphy, who's like at that time, kind of like the funniest person on the planet. Like he is I mean well, his prime lasted a very long time. But well, are we talking
1: nineteen eighty four or nineteen eighty seven? Oh, like it's
0: like
1: eighty four. Eighty four was like That's like I his breakout was, moment. He, I think he had just left Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. in, I want to say, I think 84 was his last, like 83, 84 might have been his last season on SNL. Mm-hmm. So by by the end of 1984, he had 48 hours trading places and then Beverly Hills Cop. It's huge. Which I want to say came out in December of 84. It was the second biggest movie of 1984. Yeah. It was hu- Behind Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah, he
0: was just... Huge, absolutely huge. And oh, to yeah. have a character playing this super funny role, like, you know, Serge is just there for comedic value. And to play off of the funniest person kind of in that moment, I uh, mm-hmm. must be really challenging. And I feel like he did such a good job because, I mean, he's a very cartoonish character. More so in the right. third than in the first, but still in the first, you know, it's just like, oh my
1: god, get a load of this guy! And well, and I guess if you, sorry, no, 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 please. Um, I well, I guess if you think about it, he's also really other than Foley, the only other character that's really a comedic Rosewood character. Mm-hmm. Rosewood is comedic, but only base. He's not it's a situation a... based comedy. It, Exactly, it's situational. It's it's relation based, yeah. um, relationship based comedy. But yeah, Rosewood. I, I I think Rosewood is he's not played for laughs. Yeah. He gets he's funny. Yeah. So uh, so anyway. So yeah, December seventh, this came out.
0: Okay, S- eighty four. So Taggart and Rosewood are uh, instructed to follow Axel, who cons his way into a. Primo suite at a luxury hotel <laughs> in Beverly Hills, and um, after Axel notices that they have followed him there, he uh, there's the iconic scene where he orders them uh, food, room service to their car, and as they are distracted, a late supper. A late supper as they are distracted by the late supper, <laughs> he uh, gets some bananas from a very young Damon Wayans. <laughs>
1: Who, I just like I don't think I don't think that performance would fly in today's no climate. No, <laughs> doing a very stereotype based flamboyant flamboyant yeah. character, right? Yes. So and it doesn't need to be that Take way. Take bananas.
0: Yeah, he like hands him no. a whole no. bunch of bananas.
1: But, but I don't know. I was I still was able to laugh at it. Oh,
0: absolutely. It's.
1: Yeah, I don't think that it could
0: be considered super offensive it's kind of like eh, wouldn't fly today
1: but well it's but it's also like i mean this is also how many years before like in living color when they did men on film right mm-hmm. so yeah.
0: so uh this is yeah. the famous banana and the tailpipe sequence where uh he shoves the bananas in there so they can't follow him when he peels out to like <laughs> investigate the way i think he was going to the warehouse oh peel out peels out, out. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Nicely done. Unintentional banana humor. You gotta love it. So, um. Sometimes you just gotta slip those in. This is true. Slipping on a banana peel joke. Love it. Uh, so anyway, uh, they come to realize that Victor Maitland is the, the one who's masterminding this whole, uh,
1: crime ring smuggling, smuggling ring. And, uh, yeah, smuggling drugs, smuggling you yeah. know, uh, German bear bonds, and the
0: I'm only kind of stopping there because I realize I could just go on for way longer talking about the plot of this movie, and uh, well, there's it kind of sets well sets it but up, but basically, well, what happens after that is that uh, Rosewood and Taggart get in trouble because of the the tailpipe situation they get off of the case foley brings them back into it uh he kind of convinces rosewood to get involved which brings taggart into it and you know they end up saving the day and um yeah they i think that was the, the moment that really gets them to bond and i think this is before they're actually off the Axel Foley tale is when he brings them to the strip club and they thwart a robbery, which was coincidence that it was just going to be happening. Um, Right. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: Also great scene, but well, it's that Foley has those like, because Foley is, and I, um, this is something I, I, you know, have to, to get into mm -hmm. uh, a little bit more, but just in, in terms of plot, Foley relies a lot more and Foley is, has been trained to rely a lot more on like instincts, cop instincts. And that's a lot of what he talks about is like, Hey, like you, I followed a hunch. That's what cops do. And um, Beverly Hills is very by the book. They're very by the book and not very like it takes, he mentions it several times about the coffee grounds in the, Mm. in the packing, in the, um, in the, in the warehouse. um, Right. So he finds the coffee grounds. So
0: this warehouse is basically where they're sending things to Dodge going through customs and the coffee grounds, as any good cop would know, masks, the
1: scent of cocaine or whatever drugs. But it takes like, even Taggart doesn't get that. It's not until, uh, Bogomil hears about it. The captain played by Ronnie Cox and, um, Bogomil's the one who's like, and yeah, I, I love Ronnie Cox's performance in this because he does a great job of of very sensibly and logically going from being the hard ass by the book police captain to then, you know, he, being, you know, you, you, you could see the cop in him coming out. Right. But one of the things that, that I was like, that I guess I noticed watching this movie now more so than than previously was the commentary perhaps unintentionally. And you have to remember 1984, we're in the midst of the, uh, you know, Reagan, the Reagan era. And we're, this was released, you know, what a month after Reagan gets reelected in 84 mm-hmm. and you really have that wealth disparity, um, And you see the difference. The movie opens with this montage of Detroit Detroit, and you see what Detroit is like and not just Detroit, but also like what cops are like in Detroit, what the police station is like in Detroit. And it's a lot of like cluttered desks and phones ringing and chaos and just like people doing things and there being a lot to do meanwhile when we go to beverly hills like we see the station. same well we see a similar montage and um then we see the like the police station which is really high tech considering that they ser- that they don't appear to have much serious crime to deal with so it's like you have all the wealth in the world and and But yet, like, any crime that's going on is going on right under your noses yep. because you have all this stuff to look for, you know, stuff that's that's not happening. And in that respect, it also reminded me of Demolition Man. Hmm. And, the, like, the web of irony here is spinning, but Beverly Hills Cop was originally intended to be a Stallone, Stallone. project. Yeah. And Stallone wanted to rewrote the script, renamed Axel as Axel Cobretti. Yep. And then when when Paramount was like, yeah, no, that's not what we want, Stallone took it and made Cobra. Yeah. So, um, but interestingly, I was like, when, when I'm seeing, you know, Foley, like this is the cleanest police car I've ever been in, and he's swearing and no one swears in the police. Like I was waiting for the little profanity alert. That's a really interesting
0: out. observation.
1: And getting like – Getting Rosewood on his side, it almost reminded me of the, of of how Spartan, get, you know, kind of gets Lenina Huxley yeah. to kind of go along with the program, though, you know, without the weird sex scene. Right. Thank Thankfully. goodness. So in part two, we have Billy's weird, uh, Billy's weirdness. <laughs> oh, we get
0: to <laughs> comes see out. when we get to learn more about Billy. Each time we get to see a little bit more about Billy, it's always a lot of fun.
1: Though I have some theories about Billy in part two versus Billy in part Interesting. one.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, um, why don't we then just move along? To, well, I'll just say that the first one, I'm going to, sp- this is a spoiler of
1: whatever. Uh, it's the 35 years in the making. Yeah. It's a spoiler 35 years. After in the a big shootout
0: at Victor Maitland's uh, mansion, um, the good guys win. And uh, Bogamil stands up for his uh, his crew. Basically, says that everything that uh, they said happened happened, and by the book, by the book. So uh, happy ending. Every everything is good. Um, yeah. Luckily, he goes back to Detroit and isn't in too much trouble. So, because Bogomil, yeah, Bogomil calls Todd him, yeah.
1: and vouches for him.
0: So, moving on to Beverly Hills Cop 2. Uh, In this one, we start with uh, Axel Foley working undercover in a legitimate fashion uh, on a credit card fraud case, coincidentally with one of the people who was involved with the cigarette smuggling in the first one. It's like the cousin
1: of... I think nephew. This says, you're not dealing with Johnny Bananas. Oh, yeah, yeah, nephew.
0: Yeah, so uh, in Beverly Hills... They're working on something called the Alphabet Case. We see this really crazy jewelry store robbery sequence, and uh, Brigitte Nielsen is like timing the whole thing and commanding everything that's going down. And oh, it's slick! It's oh, it's very well orchestrated, and uh, it's very Tony Scott. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, the uh, sorry, the first one directed by Martin Brest, second Tony Scott. Um and then the third is uh John Landis. John Landis. So yeah. uh three reputable directors. Very, very uh interesting to see in in sequels. I feel like a lot of times with sequels, I mean this sometimes when it's a second one in a uh franchise, it's still a pretty decent director, but
1: then I feel like it usually trails off after there when they get when it becomes formula. Yeah. Well, yeah, when it becomes formula, it's just like, okay, well, we can hand this over to everyone. It's like, okay, here, make a Beverly Hills Cop movie. You need to know what to do. Here, watch this yeah. one. <laughs> so Change some shit up. So uh, so Beverly Hills Cop 2, we've got uh, Brigitte
0: Nielsen being um, a, a head person in this criminal organization that's doing all these robberies. And um, it's... It, it's also interesting. We, it's being run out of a gun club. Yeah, we see Bogomil early on, kind of doing doing good cop work, uh, kind of going through a, going for a jog, and you know this weird industrial area. Um, yeah, so um, they <laughs> uh, get reprimand. Uh, sorry, Rosewood and Tagger get reprimanded because uh, Rosewood takes it to the takes the off the case to the FBI. It's this whole weird convoluted thing. But basically, uh, they're only given two days to solve the case. Oh, no. Sorry. Bogomil is given two days to solve the case. But Rosewood and Tagger are given traffic duty because... uh, Right. Yeah. There's this... The new chief is... He's a doink. Is a tool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm trying to remember how Axel gets involved.
1: Well, because... Bogomil gets shot. Right.
0: Bogomil shot. Yeah. And by this point, they, uh, Bogomil, Taggart, Rosewood, and Foley have all become like really close. They famously have gone on some sort of fishing trip together. As you can tell by the photograph yes. they all have where they're all standing with a fish. And, um, yeah. So, uh, Bogomil gets shot by, um, Brigitte
1: Nielsen. By Brigitte Nielsen. Yeah.
0: She, uh, targeted him and, uh, tricked him into stopping to help her fix her car and sure enough. And you could tell that like he figured out who she was, you know, she's wearing like a wig and then he like takes it off of her because a six foot blonde, six foot tall blonde woman is kind of like a, a key person in this investigation that he's been, um, I guess taking a lot of steps with like, he's gotten very close with. So, uh, Axel yeah. comes out, he, Tells uh, Inspector Todd that, well, I'm trying to remember exactly how that shakes down, but Todd is really pissed at him. So uh, he's only supposed to be gone for like two days. And uh, Jeffrey, played by Paul Reiser, who's also yeah. in the first one, he's just another Detroit cop. Uh, he is given the like Lamborghini to drive around that he's been using as part of his uh operation with the credit card fraud case and uh yeah jeffrey's kind of oh, become yeah, so that, his
1: uh man on the inside to try to help him well jeffrey just needs he needs to drive the car around so that the people like people don't know axel's out of town yeah. i guess
0: it's i don't understand yeah. i guess they know that that car means that he's around
1: i don't know well the license plate probably i don't know i don't know so, I'm not involved in the Detroit criminal <laughs> underworld. I can't tell you much about it. I'm sorry. So, um Todd gives him 3 days to solve that credit
0: card case, but that's not the way that Axel Foley runs. He doesn't really uh follow the follow the rules all that much. So, uh, he yeah. goes to Beverly Hills. He cons his way into staying at this like huge mansion. By uh, telling uh, the people, like the construction guys who are working on it, that they were given the wrong blueprints, and there's not supposed to be any right. They angles. didn't get the updated ones. They didn't ones. get the updated ones. There's not They're... supposed to be
1: any... it's supposed to be round. They want the house to look like a donut. <laughs> and he's don't like have a house that looks like yeah. A donut. He's like
0: these people are rich. If they want to live in a house that looks like a donut, let them in a the house that lives in a donut. Um, so it's super silly and <laughs> really bizarre that he's doing something that wildly illegal
1: oh yeah it just i mean so so beyond limits of reality staying
0: at a fancy hotel and you know conning them into giving you a room that you will
1: be paying for there's a big difference though big difference because when that happens he um when he does that, he uses race. He makes them feel uncomfortable this is true. at the hotel. He Because he comes in oh. and, yeah, he has got his whole, he drops an end bomb Yeah, well, what I'm saying is,
0: th- yeah, there is a big difference. It's what he does in the second movie is far more troubling than the first one.
1: What he does in the second movie, yeah, well, I think a lot of the second movie is it's, it's not there to serve the story. The second movie is very much a spectacle. It's, it's the soundtrack. It's the action sequences. I mean, it was one of the, it was like, I, I mean, that was, I I believe we've spoken once or twice on here about the summer of 1987. Of course. And when we, so for those who are, who aren't familiar (laughs) with this, should be most people. Um, our family took a trip to California in the summer of 1987. And we've got like, it's like the big family trip pretty much for all, all time. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, there's video of it. And like, we went to the Chinese theater and the big, like Eddie Murphy, Beverly Hills cop too. Like Eddie Murphy's were the newest handprints. Oh yeah. There was a big like wax, statue of of him as axel foley like beverly hills cop 2 was and this also wasn't when everything was a sequel or a remake or a reboot so i mean it was it was a real big deal that summer that you know beverly hills cop 2 like You know, sequel to, you know, one of the biggest movies, like I think at that for a long time, the high, the most, the highest grossing R rated movie of all time Mm -hmm. for, for quite some time. Right. So it it was a big deal, but, and I think because of that, like Tony Scott was hired because Top Gun Gun. came Mm -hmm. out in 86 and was huge. And I think it was just like, you gotta like make this a sleek, slick looking well, like make Eddie Murphy look like a star. Yeah. And- well, I
0: mean, think about it. in the first one, Eddie Murphy's wearing like a grimy t shirt and hoodie. In the second one, he's yeah. got his Detroit Lions jacket that he's like known for in the Axel Foley role. Um, and he's bulked up. He is bulked up. Time. He's he's more polished looking. Uh I mean, the movie itself is just like brighter,
1: you know, it's, it's sleek. It's it's very sleek. I don't don't know if I would call it brighter because Tony Scott, I don't think has a very bright style. It's a little bit more crisp. It is crisp. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I
0: think that a lot of the Tony Scott comes out, especially in that first sequence in the jewelry store that feels very Tony Scott to me. Um, the action sequences yeah, like the Jillish,
1: that. the shootout the shootout at the was it the like the 357 club or right. whatever Three, it's called 385
0: um, club 385 the
1: 385 yeah. club the very um, like
0: symmetric
1: logo yeah 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 very very late 80s yeah uh, yeah beverly hills cop 2 i mean it's like it's fu- it's one of those movies that it's like it's fun to to a point, I don't enjoy it. As, it's not as funny as the original.
0: No, um, it has. it's. It's got a little more action. It has its moments, but I will say they're, the funny comes like when they go to Rosewood's apartment. And you get that glimpse inside of Rosewood's personal life where he's got like plants everywhere. He's got like a wall of guns. He has a pet turtle. He's got Stallone posters all over the place. Rambo and
1: Cobra. Which is interesting because in in the first one he talks he says when they're during the shootout of Victor Maitland's, mm-hmm. Rosewood says I hate machine guns. Oh. Yeah. He and which is why I think that like Rosewood definitely went through some like therapy after the Victor Maitland mm-hmm. incident. Yeah. And I think Rosewood came out of it the way that we see him in Beverly Hills yeah. Cop too.
0: Yeah. That's that's a good theory. I don't know. He seems way more well adjusted and at peace, and uh, like he has a purpose. And uh, yes. yeah, I, I I don't know. I really like that sequence. And you know, the they start like singing the the dating game. Is it the dating game? The
1: dating game or match the, game. Um. Uh. Yeah yeah they start just which like, that was improvised i think yeah i read that too yeah and it's just like yeah. a fun moment
0: where it's like these buddies connecting where it's like you know that they've had personal time together in between the movies and now they're working this like case together and it's like it's fun it's not it's yeah. not axel like messing with them or trying to trick them or distract them like they're really truly working together to um to solve this case because they're you know, fourth in <laughs> their little BFF clutch got shot. They're
1: they're they're schmegs. If you oh, will. I don't. That know. is a
0: very inside <laughs> dad's. Reference. Yes,
1: it's my, our father and his golf buddies. Yeah. the schmegs. Oh boy. So you know, Bogamill and his fishing buddies.
0: Yeah. So anyway, they're they're working really hard to solve the Alphabet case. case. Uh, there's uh, Axel has finds a shell casing at the scene of the. Was it Bogomil shooting? I'm trying to remember where he found that shell casing. But he found a shell casing
1: and... I think, wasn't it, didn't, was it that Bogomil had found it and then it was with all of his oh, stuff because Bogomil's daughter... That could be. Like showed Axel all of the stuff. Right, so
0: the shell casing leads them to, um, well, they, they bring it to this gun club to try to find out where the shell casing came from because it's a very unique looking shell casing. And, um, it, what struck me a little bit odd about this in it, like you were saying before, how it's kind of like they're, they're shoehorning in a lot of these moments that are like, very like Beverly Hills cop moments, you know, Mm -hmm. he doesn't walk in there and like, find the guy that knows stuff about guns that he's been referred to by is it Taggart? Like somebody just knows this guy, but instead of just walking in like normal, he does this whole like thing where he's got, he he's all sweaty and he's got this bag and he says, there's like, he's dropping off this like explosive device and stuff in it. And it's like, did you really need to do that just in order to get in to talk to this guy? Or was it just Axel Foley
1: moment here? Well, because in, in the first, it's when he goes to the, to the club and, you know, another thing that probably would not fly in today's climate, but when Axel Foley pretends to be Victor Maitland's gay lover oh, yeah. who, you know, tests positive for herpes. Yeah. Super bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they were Oh, yeah, that and also be, probably because Eddie Murphy came up with the joke about, like, you know, my his two daughters, Monique and Unique.
0: Monique and Unique, yeah. I don't know. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's no uh set of children better named than Matthew and Modine. Thanks to Jim and Eglick. <laughs> uh
1: My two sons, Matthew and Modine. <laughs>
0: so, um, yeah, the gun club is run by I forget the name of the villain in this one. I like just um, saw it, but I feel like they've got just such like eighties names that they just blend together. Uh, I know the I mean, Bridget Nielsen the is Carla, and uh,
1: and then Dean Stockwell is the like the munitions expert.
0: Yeah. So anyway, um, the the bullet casing is. Theirs. It's like a specially designed one for their people. So they clearly know that Axel. Oh yes, Maxwell Dent. Maxwell Dent. Maxwell Dent. Oh my god, yes. it's such an eighties villain name. I love it. So. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, basically, they solve the alphabet murders. I, I, I just can't keep on getting more and more into it because well, this will be the longest there's episode. Not,
1: there's not really a need to, and I mean. Yeah, it's a Beverly Hills cop movie. There's, there, you know, they solve it. Bogomil, spoiler alert, Bogomil survives. Yes, Bogomil survives
0: and they save the day and uh, things get smoothed over with Inspector Todd back in Detroit, even though he totally oh, catches- and with the house. And, oh yeah, and with the house. Even though um, in Detroit, uh, Jeffrey gets caught because he crashes the Lamborghini- yeah, I don't know. It's a whole thing, um, but yes,
1: with uh, Marcy in the car. With
0: Marcy in the car, of course. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, as I mentioned, we've got um, the posters for uh, Cobra and Rambo in Rosewood's apartment. Uh, Stallone was married to Brigitte Nielsen during the filming of this. Yeah. Uh, although I read that she was sleeping with Tony Scott during this. Yeah, yeah,
1: I read oh, that. Brigitte,
0: you crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. then we've got Beverly Hills Cop 3. And yeah, we do. And Beverly Hills Cop 3, it's definitely trying to just be like, okay, how can we make this be a Beverly Hills Cop movie for the 90s? Uh, it has definitely some funny moments in it. Like I said, Serge is there. I. Uh, Serge, who was an assistant at an art gallery, is now uh, legally dealing arms. Like, you know, sets up shop at trade shows to show the like Annihilator Two Thousand, like a new weapon for the '90s. It's very '90s. It has a little microwave on it. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, his whole scene is just so funny. But okay, I will start at the beginning of this one. I uh, he's. Uh, Axel is in Detroit and he is uh, trying to bust up an illegal chop shop. Um, The line that he says when he enters the chop shop after it's been taken over by the real bad guys. Hey, is this the illegal chop shop? Is something that's been like in my head since I must have like first seen this movie. And I feel like I I say it from time to time when I'm like walking into a room if it's like at a party or something and i know that no one else gets it look whatever
1: okay that's amazing i'll start start, it's just usually that's me so right
0: uh so i'll go back a little bit so there's this super fun chop shop where they're like singing along uh to the radio and like dancing and like totally just goofing off and um Meanwhile, outside of there, Axel and the rest of like the Detroit cops are um ready to bust the place. And he called off the SWAT team because he's like, Come on, it's just like a chop shop, this isn't a huge like criminal enterprise, there's no need to get crazy here. So, yeah, um, but he what he doesn't realize is that uh. Axel, not Axel, Ellis DeWald, played by Timothy Carhart, who is in Thelma Louise with Susan Sarandon, uh, is there to, um, I guess, take a truck that has some sort of U.S. government material inside of it. Mm -hmm. Right. So... um,
1: I, I don't remember. It's been 25 Fair years. Fair enough. So
0: Ellis DeWald and his, and his guys get in there, and they kill everybody in the chop shop. And then that's when Axel knocks on the door and says, hey, is this the illegal chop shop? And quickly realizes that something else is up, and gunfire begins between uh, all of them. And uh, Inspector Todd comes during the middle of this, and... I. Uh, Tries to help out. Meanwhile, he gets shot and uh, dies at the scene, which is very, very sad. You know, Axel is pretty torn up about it. Um, by that mm-hmm. point, they've been working together for quite a long time. They've had their ups and downs, but they have become friends. I mean,
1: they've got a history that goes back prior to yeah. the the initial Beverly Hills Cop.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, Ellis DeWald and his people get away. You see when they open up their case with guns in it, that there are towel, they're wrapped in towels for, um, oh my God, is it just called the Wonder World?
1: Yeah. Wonder, Wonder World. World,
0: which is this theme park. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's odd that they would be using those towels to, um, wrap their guns in, but whatever. So, I think that it's – does Axel find one of those? Because that's, like, what leads him to California. I I think it's, like, something like that. Like, he knows that
1: Wonderworld is, like, a thing. Haven't you watched it recently or – Dude, it's – Did you not watch it I've had a long weekend. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) I I have – I, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, he's
0: led to Wonderworld, which is in uh, Los Angeles. So, he goes out. He he's he really wants to figure out who killed Inspector Todd. This is the big thing, and uh, yeah, he goes out to California, and of course he meets up with his buddy Rosewood, who is now the DDOJSIOC, which is the Deputy Director of Operations for Joint Systems Interdep- Interdepartmental Operational Command.
1: Uh, that's one thing I do remember very well is just kind of all of the initial humor, yeah, the d d o j
0: s i o c so yeah, basically, his job is to orchestrate um i guess criminal investigations beyond uh i guess jurisdiction lines so oh which which then allows him to take part in this investigation exactly. Because you can't yeah. have a theme park in Beverly Hills.
1: No. Right. So. No. Um, I'm sure as we're saying this, there's a theme park being built in Beverly Hills. Yeah, right. So,
0: so uh, and that's also when um, Axel meets another one of the Beverly Hills cops. Uh, Taggart is no longer there, but he meets um, another cop, John something or other. Can't remember his Flint. Name. Sure. John Flint is it
1: John? Am I just making Hector Elizondo,
0: who is in the movie mother's day with Margo Martindale, who is in Lorenzo's oil. And I, I, I get the, you get the impression you're trying to figure out, like, is he actually a good guy? Is he a, is he a bad guy? Kind of toes the line a few times. Um, So Axel goes to wonder world to investigate, like to kind of see what's going on. Um, and what's
1: up? This is this is random, um, but I just was. Oh, and of course it stopped. But I so yeah, I'm looking on IMDb for Beverly Hills Cop three, and I'll have to. I'm gonna have to take a screenshot of this and post it so that uh, people know what I'm talking about. But. Um, I am fairly certain that one of the images one of the like one of the pictures that they use mm-hmm. is not from Beverly Hills Cop 3 but is from Dragnet. Oh uh, that's weird. I'm pretty sure that's the guy who explains, like, the chemicals that are on the uh
0: Yeah, that's, like not, the train. that's not from Beverly Hills Cop 3, for sure.
1: No, that's from Dragnet. That's yeah. weird. Okay, so...
0: Yeah, so I... Uh, sorry
1: for that interruption. I just had to point so that
0: out. So Axel goes to to Wonderworld. I keep on wanting to call it Wally world, even though it definitely isn't. Well, yes. <laughs> that That's... I think
1: that's the proper instinct.
0: Yeah. So he goes to Wonderworld, and it seems like he... I don't know, I don't necessarily agree with the way that he goes about things, but he just kind of like walks into a restricted area and starts poking around like he goes into um, kind of like the, the tunnels of the theme park and he like walks into yeah. a random control room where he meets, what's her name, uh, Janet, Janice, I thought I wrote it down.
1: And Teresa Randall was the yeah
0: actress. Teresa Randall, um, who's great in this. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she becomes kind of his ally there. She's just running the ride. She's the
1: Jenny Summers, yeah, of this one, totally. except with abs- with no connection.
0: With no connection initially, until there's a bit of a romantic connection that never oh, actually yeah. is seen on camera, aside from a few. Uh, remarks and you know they decide to go out after everything is done. Um, this movie. So anyway, what's what's interesting about this movie is that he knows that Ellis Dewald did it almost immediately because he saw Ellis Dewald shoot Inspector Todd, and then when he sees Ellis Dewald as like the head of security for Wonderworld he immediately knows that it's him and when he's trying to like tell people that he did this they're just like no that's impossible he was you know <laughs> vacationing and da da da, da. and uh, you know Axel is kind of just thrown out and put on like the blacklist and everything and i don't know it's like Ellis DeWald is kind of untouchable in the world of Los Angeles
1: crime prevention he's- He's highly respected. He wins an award. He,
0: yes, there is an award ceremony that uh, Axel goes to with Rosewood, and of course makes a big scene.
1: And uh, just the only way I remember Ellis Dewald's name is because of Eddie Murphy just saying it so many times in that. scene. He does, and it's a clapping his it's hands. It's a
0: great villain name. I don't know. I love it. It's great. Yeah. So yeah, I I remember. Oh. Maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, I was just like, you ever just get like something in your head and you're just like, where did that come from? And what even is that? The name Ellis DeWald popped into my head. It was kind of like my memory was like, hey, Ellis DeWald. And do you still need this information? And I was like, Ellis DeWald.
1: So I think I have some, I think I can, I, maybe this is related, maybe not. But I do remember at some point in the time frame works that... I think we were having a conversation and I meant to reference the character of Ellis from die hard, uh-huh. but I think I called him Ellis DeWald <laughs> and was this with me? And then I am almost certain we had a con- that this was some type of conversation that we had and where I was like referencing like, you know, the sprekency talk and right. like, Ellis from Die Hard and I was, yeah that's Ellis DeWald and it's like no I don't think so who's Ellis DeWald and wait a second that's gotta be a name yeah. right Maybe and that then was it. I, I forget how we came around to it but it's like wait a second that's the bad guy from Beverly Hills Cop 3 so <laughs> I don't know if that was what put it into your Maybe. head or if it was already in your head uh, so weird at that point but I do I was gonna bring that up and I just didn't but I Ellis just DeWald just like right gets in your brain that name just like hooks in there uh, well every time I see every time I'm in Home Depot and there's like the DeWall oh, yeah. like line of tools <laughs> and it's like Ellis DeWall yeah he's making tools now man. so um,
0: at that award oh, ceremony it's like a you know celebrating the man of the year or whatever for crime prevention um, that's where there is like the little trade show where Serge is uh, is spotted And Mm -hmm. just one more time, I'm going to just praise Bronson Pinchot Pinchot a little bit. Uh, What's really interesting about him is that he does have a flamboyance to his character, but he makes a comment when he's like showing the video, like the promo video that he made for the Annihilator 2000, that it just like shows this like swimsuit, model but like very like muscular like woman using the Annihilator two thousand and he just turns to Axel and goes, Do you think they're real? <laughs> and then and then he has this like comment where he's just like, She's my personal trainer, but I just can't help myself when it comes to like croissants or whatever he says and he's like, I wear a suit all the time. Who cares? Like what does it matter? And it's just like whatever if he improvised all that stuff or what, like so good. It just works for me. Yeah. Um, Oh, and I I didn't even mention uh, Gilbert Gottfried in Beverly Hills Cop too. I feel like he is kind of taking place of that, like, you know, comedic moment. He plays the accountant for the bad guy dent. Yeah. Uh, Yeah who he tricks into letting him use his computer because he says that he's there with all these unpaid parking tickets and uh, checks in, into his computer to find out what Dent has been up to. And there's like flights booked for like Costa Rica or something like that. Um, anyway, oh, yeah. moving on. That's it. So Done. Right. So what's interesting about Beverly Hills Cop 3 is that he knows who the bad guy is the entire time. And it's all he's trying to do is get everybody to show like to be convinced that this is the guy and it's an interesting twist because it doesn't give him many opportunities to try to solve anything uh because Mm. it's already solved for him it's really just a matter of getting him to slip trying to expose yeah yeah pretty much um so I don't know. There's a lot of oh yeah, and also when uh, when Serge is talking about the Annihilator 2000, happens to mention that he sold one to Sly Stallone. Another Stallone of reference, course. yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Beverly Hills Cop three. It's clearly the worst of the bunch. Um, yeah. I like moments of it there are certain things that get stuck in my head like is this the illegal chop shop and the name ellis dewald uh serge's role always puts a smile on my face but it's just like it's it's also very bright um and i feel like for it like it feels like it wants to be like a die hard movie but
1: yeah. it's just like too polished it's kind of, well, yeah, it just, it, it's polished and it just doesn't have any character. Like at least Beverly Hills Cop 2 had, it, it was very, it was distinct. It, it's, it's got a distinct style to it. The first Beverly Hills Cop is kind of like, like stylistically, it's your standard 80s action mm-hmm. movie, but your action scenes are done incredibly well. And it was something that I'm just, you know, as I was watching Beverly Hills Cop and just like lamenting the state of action movies. Yeah. Cause I was just watching like the car chase in the beginning and I was like, this is so impressive. Cause you know, it's really happening. Like yeah. that they really had to like, There's none no of this is computer yeah. generated. So yeah, you
0: just see cars bashing into each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's magnificent. The action sequences are, are fantastic and they feel like, you know, they feel real. Like in this sh- the shootout at the end. Right. Like, you know, I've, fantastic. A lot of things about those
0: shootouts also felt very and I mean I've never been involved in a shootout. Nor do no. I plan to be or hope to be, but there's something about it that felt like I don't know, it seems like it could happen that way. You know, the way that people get hit with bullets seems like a little yeah. more realistic. Um I don't know. The, the way that they are running from gunfire seems a little bit more realistic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So so John, earlier um I know I I accidentally referred to Beverly Hills Cop three as Beverly Hills Cop Four. Yes. But that that does lead us into the potential, you know, futures for this franchise. Right. And that's apparently happening, right? Well,
0: yeah, allegedly it's happening after they finished coming the Coming to America sequel, which may already be happening. Uh there It's been shooting com- the
1: coming right. to America. So
0: there were also talks of a Beverly Hills Cop for was it like 2008? It was quite a while ago. Um
1: and that guy Well there
0: was gonna be there was I'm not talking about the T V
1: series. Like, right, right. But there was like there was Beverly Hills, there were talks about Beverly Hills Cop Four like Brett Ratner directing. Right. I think that was around the time of like Tower Heist. Mm, gotcha. Um which by the way I, I never saw it. You, yeah, I'll check it out. It's, I mean Brett Ratner directed it, yeah. so um but you know, Ben Stiller, Eddie Murphy, it's got a got a nice cast to it. But um
0: Yeah, Yeah. so so there also was, um, they did a pilot for Beverly Hills Cop TV series where Eddie Murphy was just going to have a cameo in the first episode. And allegedly what happened was during testing for it, you know, like there's a knob that viewers turn whether they like something or dislike something. And basically it was whenever Eddie Murphy was on screen, it went to the positive side and that's kind of the only time that that really happened. And he was only ever going to be just in the first episode as like a cameo. And it's like, if he's the only reason why people are going to watch it or like it, then there's no reason to do it. Right.
1: Right. Well, and I mean, so Eddie Murphy, so I mean, Man, Eddie Murphy, like you said earlier, his prime just went for such a long time. Yeah. And like he was, you know, in the days when you would you would have an actor sign a contract with a studio and work exclusively for that studio, yeah. like Eddie Murphy and Paramount Pictures in the 1980s were, I mean, he made them billions, you know, trillions of dollars, perhaps, and uh, but by the late '80s, like, and if if you actually look at the number of hits he had, and I, I have to look this up, I I didn't check it out, but like, I was trying to think of what, like, all right, well, what did Eddie Murphy have come out between Beverly Hills Cop and Beverly Hills Cop two? And I thought, well, Golden Child, yeah, and I don't I don't remember Golden Child being a big hit, um. So I don't know that Eddie, and I, so I feel like Eddie Murphy had, um, yeah, it really was not a bit critically, very poorly received. Yeah. Um, but, so he had like three hits in a row, the three smash hits, 48 Hours, and uh, he had the, hit, uh, you know, comedy special, he had Delirious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then The Golden Child kind of bombed. Beverly Hills Cop 2 was a huge hit, as was Eddie Murphy's concert m- film, Raw, that yep. came out that mm-hmm. year. But then after that, it was like, all right, Coming to America right. in in 88, you know, very successful. And then another 48 Hours, though, did not do so well. Neither did uh, – oh, Harlem Nights was before that. And I think Harlem Nights was such a vanity project. Yeah. And I think it was like Eddie Murphy really started getting like very full of himself and was very, became difficult to work with. I know he clashed with John Landis on Coming to America. Mm -hmm. So the fact that John Landis is back for Beverly Hills Cup 3, you know, is kind of amazing. But I, 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 I think by the like mid 90s, like Eddie Murphy was, he was kind of. Like, I think before this, like, Boomerang had been moderately successful, but the Distinguished Gentleman hadn't done well. Was it
0: maybe not until, like, the Nutty Professor that things picked back up? I think
1: the... the, Yes, but not really for long, because the Nutty Professor was a big hit. And then, what, Metro? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean... (laughs) Like, and then came all of the... Pluto Nash. Meet Dave. Well, Meet Dave was later. Meet Dave. Imagine that. Dr. Doolittle, I think was like late nineties, but then that was also the beginning of the Eddie Murphy family movie. So uh, it was Haunted Mansion. Daddy daycare. um, Daddy daycare. Mm -hmm. uh, Well, when, when was, uh, when was Bowfinger? Bowfinger was 99. Okay. And What's crazy is, yeah, Bowfinger was really was one where Eddie Murphy was kind of just an actor, right. On it, and I guess he was able to, you know, find some humility for that. But what I'm excited about is that Eddie Murphy seems to have kind of redis. He took he a beat. He seems in the like he's he's taken a beat, and I think you know what I was reading was that he really wants. He wants to end his career knowing that he ended his career funny. Mm-hmm. And that he was thought of as funny. And um, you know, and while I'm certainly interested in seeing what that does to, you know, his reviving coming to America, mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see he's he's talking about doing stand up again. Yeah. So I'm really interested to see what he does with that. Excuse me. Um It's looking to... I started watching uh, Dolomite Is My Name.
0: I'm looking forward to watching that. I hear it's great.
1: Yeah, I need to watch it when I have energy. Um, But, like, it just... It seems like Eddie Murphy has has kind of... Is maybe getting to that place where he's not, like... I don't know, trying to make Norbit every couple of years. Well, and this is something that he said about...
0: Beverly Hills Cop 4 when it came up like 10 years ago is that like, it's not like he needs the money. So he's going to do it when it's, you know, going to be done right. Right. So
1: so that said, John, how do you think Beverly Hills Cop 4 could be done right? I think what I would like to see
0: from Beverly Hills Cop 4, I mean, clearly you have to capture... The, the humor of, I'll say, the first two Beverly Hills Cop movies um, and, you know, the spirit of Axel Foley who can con his way into getting into situations or getting out of situations, as it may be. And I think that what really lacked in the third one was the action, which was very lazy. And it felt very closed in, even though it's in this like big amusement park and like Los Angeles is a very big open place, but it all felt very closed in. And I feel like if it was done similarly to the way that like the mission impossible movies feel not like as grand and intense as they are, because clearly those are their own thing. But like if -hmm. the action felt the way that some of that action went And Axel Foley isn't as polished and, you know, he fights dirty and that's what was great about Mm -hmm. the first two is that like, you know, he's not this like super cop, which is, I just, it just occurred to me (laughs) that that's the thing that he says about Rosewood and Taggart. But, uh, you know, he, he fights dirty and I feel like that's something that you really want to see more of and I,
1: he does what he needs, he does to what do. he needs
0: to do. He's quite a bit older. Uh, you, you know, than he, than he was then. <laughs> I mean, clearly Uh and I think that there's a lot that can be said about that. Um, showing Axel Foley as like somebody who maybe has had a dip after all of these exhausting excursions in California, maybe like he's, I don't know. He's kind of toast. And he his life in Detroit is just kind of like plateaued. Maybe he's replaced Inspector Todd and is just kind of like behind a desk most of the time. And he gets that call from Rosewood that he's needed out in Beverly Hills. Maybe Taggart gets killed or something. I don't know. But I, I'm I'm less concerned about the plot of it than I am about the feel of it. Because what really bothered me about mm-hmm. 3 was that the feel of it was just off. Um, eh, it was flat. Yeah, it was flat. It, it tried to appeal to, I don't know, a younger audience? I, I don't know. I guess. Well, there was no strip club yeah. scene, which dif- differentiates it right. from the others. Uh, I don't know. It just... I don't know. It was too too much of a, a bubblegum cotton candy fair for me. So, I yeah, I want to see something a little bit more exciting. Um, kind of along the the way that it feels to watch one of the newer Mission Impossible movies.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Tell Definitely. tell me what your um, your thoughts are. So, um kind of along the same lines, I could see so Axel is much you know it's 25 years since Beverly Hills Cop 3. He's definitely older, maybe not retirement age, but I could see him being like a police captain or a police chief. I mean if you think about it he's probably around the age that Bogomil was. Yeah, that's true. In in one or two. So I could see him being in that position of power and I could see him honestly having kind of mellowed out and maybe he's like he likes feeling comfortable and he's like you know what? I like by the book is a lot less exhausting. And so do you think that he's, see still, him do you of, think
0: he's still in Detroit or would you have him just
1: in Beverly Hills? I think I would have him in Beverly Hills. I think that I would have, I so, all right, this is kind of one way to go. And I think it's kind of cliche, but it's also like, let's make an eighties action comedy here. Um, and I'm imagining like, what if this, like, you know, he's kind of, he's the chief and this, you know, this young cop comes in and you know, kind of plays by their own rules, and they're like, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a, a Michael Pena or uh, I don't, I don't know why I just thought of Michael Pena. I'm like, because I can see Michael, because Michael Pena's, <laughs> he's not, well, you he, know, he's not that young, that's true. Um, so I don't know, like a Michael Pena type, I guess, who's like funny and charismatic. And who maybe, like, starts to bring out that, like, and they get, in and there's a case, and there's some, like, there's some case going on, and maybe it connects back to something from one of the other movies, maybe it doesn't, but, and Axel is kind of, like, really resistant to this kid's methods, but then he starts to be like, oh shit, now I'm the one who needs to be reminded what it's like to be a real cop. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe Axel is just like, maybe he's become, you know, in all the technology of the 21st century, he's just kind of allowed himself to fall back and rely on it. And then you kind of, you have the blowback. It's kind of like how, um, I feel like there's almost a blowback of young people turning away a little bit from technology and not entirely. And, and it also might be more of a Seattle thing <laughs> um, where like the turntable is still the preferred method of music listening. Uh-huh. Um And, but I just kind of, I'm wondering if like, what if Axel has just kind of fallen into this, like, all right, like, Hey, I'm a police captain in Beverly Hills. I don't have to like, I live in a nice house. Now I have like things and I'm relatively comfortable But then this kid comes in and damn it, if he doesn't bring out the old Axel and like, eventually what if like the old Axel, old Axel comes out and he's like, and this new kid is like, you know, he, he's got some skills, but he doesn't know as, as inspector Todd says, you know, you don't know every damn thing or whatever, however he says it, um, so what if Axel then has to like come out and be like, no, 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 this is how you do right. this, and you know, watch, I think I, you know, having one of those moments where he's like, no, I got this, and then he goes and talks his way into the exclusive club, sure, or something.
0: So I'm trying to, th- I'm trying kind of to think of thinking. like what young actors would be like, you know, fresh in the uh, in the force, but I mean.
1: I don't know of like, I mean, I know we've talked about Noah Centineo oh, before. I, I never uh, seen he's him in anything playing He-Man, but yeah, I've never seen him in anything, but I'm kind of like, uh, oh, maybe he'll be decent. I feel like the only young actor. I kind of want someone scrappier. I know. I feel like the only like young
0: actor aside from like super young, like um, Jacob Tremblay <laughs> would be like uh, Timothy Chalamet. And he's like
1: just a yeah. little too young and even too scrappy. Um, uh, I think, too, I think, yeah, I, I just don't necessarily buy Timothy oh, Chalamet.
0: Oh, what's that?
1: Oh. Um, there's someone I'm thinking of who I'm going to look up
0: really quickly. Uh, he's He was in Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Dane oh. DeHaan.
1: Dane DeHaan. Oh, you know what? I really like Dane DeHaan in Chronicle.
0: Oh, UFC I never Chronicle. saw
1: Chronicle. Um, I hear it's really great, That's though. a bit... Be- my- that's Michael B. Jordan in that as well. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome movie. Dane DeHaan, I I'd be interested to see Dane DeHaan.
0: I what was the first album? thing that I remember him from? Was it uh, look? Oh, The Place Beyond the Pines was the first thing I saw him in, where I was like, this this kid, it's pretty good.
1: Oh really? I'm pr- I'm pretty sure I've seen him in other things.
0: That was the first thing I saw him in that I like really he really stood out as being like okay, this kid's going to do okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe it was Chronicle that... uh, Maybe it it was Chronicle was the first thing I saw him in. Oh, well, anyway. Well, he was also Um, in the Amazing
0: Spider-Man series. He was like the Green Goblin.
1: Yeah, I only saw the... Was that the one with Andrew Garfield? Yeah. Yeah, I only... I saw the first one and I don't remember it all that mm-hmm. well. So, but yeah, Dane DeHaan. Yeah. Be a good choice. But I mean, it's like, regardless, it, I just think that like setting it up to, you know, where Axel maybe has gotten to that comfortable place because it makes sense. He would be like, he wouldn't be just automatically like the same old Axel Foley. Mm-hmm. I think something would need to pull him out of it, and um, and you know, it's like, yeah, of course, like bring back Rosewood. If you, I mean, hell, bring back Serge. Like, yeah, you know, you have to wonder if. I mean,
0: we all know I'm a fan of Serge. That's been established. I, yeah. uh, if he could be used in a good way, I feel like I, uh, his career trajectory would have to put him in some, like, really bizarre position. Like, he's, like, Secretary of State or
1: something. Well, and here's what I'm thinking. Interesting that you should say that. But so, like, one of the kind of... So, they were really trying to push this concept of a Beverly Hills Cop sequel where Axel Foley goes to, like, London and teams up with, like, John Cleese or Sean Connery uh, on, on, on a case. And I'm wondering, though, what if... And I'm not thinking of that, but I'm like, what if Axel does have to, like, leave the country? What if they have to, like, get into Mexico, but they can't go, like, through the border um, or something? So what if Sarah's like, what if Sarah's deals in, Sarah like... is a coyote? Like, maybe. <laughs> what if Sarah's? But also what if Sarge can get, like, you know, I don't know, passports or things, you know... IDs like what if Sarah's just, just totally like black market I I mean it wouldn't surprise me through all of his connections yeah. through all I mean think about it, his connections through the art dealing world where they were also where he also worked for someone who was smuggling right. drugs etc and then he's an arms dealer well I mean which I think was supposed to they were supposed to establish that connection, I think, in part two. Oh, yeah. I think there was supposed to be something connecting Serge to the to the gun club. I mean, what if Serge is the bad guy? Like, what if he is... Because he's the thing
0: that connects, like, two of these situations. I mean, he's...
1: I guess so, he's yeah. He's
0: not necessarily directly connected with Ellis DeWald, but he's at the thing with... Like, he's still in that world. I mean, the first one, he's way more
1: directly connected,
0: but... But well, uh-huh. what
1: if you have, I mean, I guess if you have Serge as your, as your bad guy, um, it also then doesn't, it, it gives you an excuse to bring back the character rather than just, whereas in three, I felt it was kind of like, Bronson show is available, yeah. we can put in this character that people love, yeah. especially John. Love, um, I love Serge. And no, I admit, I love, I mean, in... You know, in the original, I just I was you come with that thought. That's not sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so great, um, but yeah, I, I I think, and it's funny because initially, like I remember years and years and years ago, I was thinking like, man, a Beverly Hills Cop four, which like maybe like where his like you know he had a son and his yeah. son shows up at the door, but, but that's very well,
0: Die Hard five, you know, like,
1: or Shaft, right. Like the most recent yeah, one. Yeah. I don't know. It's. Yeah. So no, 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 no. I, I like the idea though of just a younger cop bringing him out of bringing the old Axel to to the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's just for one more, one more time.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, and I, I really like, I, I mean, who doesn't love the character Axel Foley? He's the song Axel F is like oh, it gets in so your head good. and you don't care. It's so good.
1: No, I I definitely bought some like cheesy like soundtrack compilation cassettes in the eighties to have that song. <laughs> it's it's just that good, and uh,
0: you know the name Axel F Axel Foley will like always be. Yeah. In people's minds, you know that that's an achmehmel. It's just an iconic character. Who doesn't like it, and who wouldn't want to see him doing more of his shenanigans?
1: I mean, I guess it, as as long as like Eddie Murphy can bring energy to it, and this is it's the same goes for Coming to America. Like, we don't just want to see Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall do Coming to America cosplay, right? Like we want to see a story that puts that, that like gives you these, these characters and like just plays the comedy for real, so to speak. Yeah. Cause I think that's when Eddie Murphy's movies are strongest is when the comedy is, is based in a situation that's consistent and that everybody is also on board. And it's not just, Oh, everybody's there to just be scenery for Eddie Murphy, but it's like Trading Places, like Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, Denholm Elliott, Ralph Bellamy, Don Amici, they all play a huge, you know, part in making that movie what it is. Coming to America, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, uh, Sherry Headley, Eric LaSalle, John Amos. James Earl Jones. You know, James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they all do their thing. So right. it, it's, and which is also what I think makes Boomerang stand out among Eddie Murphy's 90, 90s movies is the really strong support in um, David Allen Greer, Martin Lawrence, uh, Holly Berry and Robin Givens. Yeah. And, oh, sorry, not to mention Eartha Kitt. As oh, strong that's Betty. right. Or not. Was that a Kitt? No. Wasn't Eartha Kitt? It was Grace Jones? No way. Eartha Kitt. Yes. I think Eartha Kit was strong. Grace Jones was, was in it as well. And she's amazing. Um, but anyway, that's when I think Eddie Murphy really needs a, a solid ensemble. And, uh, I just hope that with the, with, with these new movies he's doing, and it seems like with Dolomite is his name or is my name. There's a strong cast. So I'm excited. Um, I'm, you know, big fan of Eddie Murphy. Right. Well, and I would love to see. him. I feel
0: like with this beat that he has taken, he understands that like the the move, the projects that he signs on for need to be like really good because he doesn't need yeah. them to happen just for the sake of like making money. He's not. Who would you have? Sorry, go on. I'm, I'm sorry. Who would you have direct uh, Beverly Hills Cop for? Well, Christopher McQuarrie first of all, you know, to get that Mission Impossible feel. No, uh that's a good question. Um maybe Edgar Wright. Uh that is the f- Is that it really? Is the first I keep thinking but it's well, like my I like the way though, that when I... I
1: like the way that he does action and comedy. Well, I like the way that he does cars and I yeah. feel like car chases are a big part right and he also does action and he does action and comedy extremely well. It's just I kind of like I wouldn't want Edgar Wright to do it if Edgar Wright wasn't a fan of the original Beverly Hills Cop. I get
0: the feeling that
1: he would I feel be like if Yes, I I think so as well. I feel like it's the type of thing where if he was a fan of it and he had a really strong feel for it, he could make an excellent I think Beverly Hills Cop four could easily be the second best in the series. Like two is fun, but it's not the be all and yeah. end all. No, it's it's memorable. Because you've got,
0: like, well, Brigitte Nielsen. uh, You've got the Playboy Mansion. I don't know. There's just Mm -hmm. a lot of things about it that kind of get in your head. I mean, the iconic look of Axel Foley wearing the Detroit Lions jacket. Um,
1: Yeah. The soundtrack, the Pointer Sisters, uh, George Michael. That's right. Mm -hmm. All the great acts that were, I mean, I remember that sound. Like, everyone had that sound. Everyone. Everyone had it. Bob. Bob uh it was oh man Bob's shakedown but there there's so many hits in that in that movie on that soundtrack the first movie has two hit songs in the first five the minutes. heat is on and the heat is on goes right into Neutron That's dance, right pretty much yeah. so um it's harder to do that today it, it, it's it's harder to really. You know, you don't have that, like, you know, soundtrack that just everybody is is into. Yeah, it's not not the world we live in. We're not we're not living in the age of the the
0: soundtrack. I mean, Batman Forever may have been the last uh, great soundtrack.
1: Oh, boy. Hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me. Uh, So
0: uh, let's talk about our next episode.
1: So next episode, um, because we decided to go with uh, a, a Martin Breast film this week, and uh, so we are going to have a, a Martin Breast twofer. Our next uh, our next episode will be 1988's Midnight Run, starring Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. Great film. If you have not seen Midnight Run I I I don't know that there's anyone I wouldn't recommend it to. It is so underrated. I believe that I saw that, that, that I it's streaming somewhere.
0: It. Let me quickly check on that. It
1: is rarely streaming. I thought
0: that I saw that it was uh on one of the services. No, it's not. I thought I saw it recently. That's one that I own. That's one
1: that I I watch frequently. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, well, frequently being like maybe once a year, once every two years. Um, but anyway, I'm looking forward to talking about Midnight Run Same here. next week. So if anybody has and anything they want
0: to uh, to lend to our Beverly Hills Cop episode uh, or any thoughts on Midnight Run or any other episodes that we've talked about in the yep. past, uh, Pod at gmail.com.
1: Um, oh, and- If you happen to be in the Seattle area, um, by the time this is online, we will have three more performances of a few good men. If you're interested in seeing my own personal passion project reboot, um, please, uh, email us and I will send you more information. Great. Well,
0: Dan, good journey.
1: That's it. Good journey.
0: I gave you this, an asshole. <laughs>